Welcome to another episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, where we focus on building better businesses. I believe in order to be the best leader that you can be, you must be willing to be the first follower and have a servant mentality when you're in a leadership position. If you want to be the best leader that you possibly can be, be sure to stay tuned and listen to industry leaders and hear how they built winning cultures in their own businesses. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Scott Drake, and we're going to talk about how he is the jump coach along with his organization called Jump Coach and helps social enterprise on missions to make best-in-class leaders. Before we begin, I'll remind you this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a podcaster, YouTuber, or content creator, and you want to create content that is more tactical and delivers, head over to nightly.productions and find out how we can help you. Scott, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Doc. Appreciate you having me on. Man, I am super excited about this. When Whenever we have coaches on, it always seems to be a great conversation since it's something, a space that I'm in as well. So we can always kind of really dive into that leadership aspect of things. And I want to give the audience just a quick overview of your experience before we dive in. And overall, as I mentioned, you're the founder and executive director of Jump Coach, which is a social enterprise on a mission to make best-in-class leadership, leadership training leaders to really make it available to anyone who needs it. Um, your journey in leader, in leadership is long and painful, um, and we're really going to unpack that as we go through this conversation where it really took you 10 years to thrive as a leader and not feel like an imposter. Um, you are a consultant and trainer who made every mistake along the way as a, you really have dictated that where you really like to talk about your mistakes. You like to talk about how you've made the flubs so that this is how you've overcome them and hopefully help emerging leaders avoid those same mistakes. So before we dive into and unpack everything you're doing with Jump Coach, tell us a fun fact about yourself that we might not know. Yeah, so uh, fun fact. Well, number one, my last job was was funny. I was a t- I was a technology executive at a medical education company, and everybody I worked with had PhDs and master's degrees and all this crazy stuff. And I never graduated college, so a lot of people are kind of surprised that I do the work that I do and I do it at the level that I do it. But college doesn't represent how I learn. You know, I've studied a lot more than the average college graduate has. I just don't learn the way college teaches. So so that's something that a lot of people don't know about me. But it's one of the things I think is becoming more important is that alternative tracks that not everybody has to go through those same tracks. So so I think that's one of the fun facts. And I absolutely love that because I feel like leadership definitely can be taught, but not in common institutions in that capacity where I went back for an MBA. I didn't learn anything about leadership, right? They want to teach you management processes, different things. But when it comes to like leadership, do you really think that that is something that institutionally you can learn? Or is it more of a experiential activity that you help people with? So leadership as I define it is working through others to get things done, right? There's things you need done, but you can't or don't want to do them yourself. So you choose to work through other people. And it's really the skill aspect of leadership is something that most people already have. What they don't have is the right mindset, right? Because a lot of, you know, our, our whole life we're rewarded for having all the answers and, and being the A-plus player and those kinds of things. And as soon as you become a leader, you kind of have to set those aside and let other people do those things. So what I found is really, yeah, there's about 10% of people who can't learn it because they just, they have some emotional or psychological issues with, with empathy or emotional intelligence. They can't develop those. And, but if you're not in that 10%, you know, it's something that, yeah, everybody can learn. Everybody can can adopt the right mindsets and, and, and become an effective leader, generally pretty quickly as well. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it's something that uh, I have a police and military background and it is literally doctrinally outlined. This is what a leader is. Here's a little cube. You don't leave your cube and um, it, it really fails. And this is kind of the, the conversation I love going on, which I think you can really help us unpack because we're talking about the institutional learning aspect of things. But the military really has like the science of leadership nailed down. Like, this is what it is. This is how you do it. This is amazing. But I feel like it really lost the art of leading, right? I think there's a totally different aspect of that application and the how-to. So how do you really get people to understand that aspect of like, not just, we can look at Abraham Lincoln's of the world and be like, yeah, he's a great leader. We can, we can mimic that, but you're still going to lose the art of actually leading people. So how do you teach people to actually have that art of leading? So, I mean, th there is some elements that is that you look at a leader like a Lincoln who's inspiration, right? They can lay out a vision and they can do it in an inspirational way. But that's a small part of leadership, right? That's the very tip. That's that's the the, the beginning, right? That's that's the one thing, you know, but you don't have to have an inspirational vision to get people to help you. So it really is for me about recognizing that I'm going to ask somebody for help and I need to, I need to find the people who are going to enjoy this and who are going to be motivated to do it intrinsically. Like there's some, some pleasure they're going to get from helping and from this particular problem. And then I need to look at it in a couple of different ways to say, is this something that is very routine and I need to establish processes or is this something that's more of an irregular event where I need to just give them the problem and say, help me solve this problem. And too often we, we lead with the idea of I've got to tell them exactly what to do. I've got to give them the exact same processes to follow and all that kind of stuff, which kind of gets into your little boxes that, that a lot of ones want to set up. But more and more of the work of people is that irregular work. It's, it's the, I need to help them. I need, I need a problem solve that is not normal and I'm going to challenge them to do it. So, so yeah. So what we really walk people into is to say, uh, what is your vision? That's really the only job you have to have as a leader is to state what your vision is. What are the standards that are going to make it successful? And then is this something that you need to put some process around or is this something you just need to challenge somebody to solve the problem? And you kind of go down those two paths, but it, but it is where a lot of people don't understand that there are two paths. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I'd imagine a lot of this really was learned across your journey where literally you talk about how 10 years of um, less than stellar leadership that you exhibited and less than stellar um, skills that you put forth. And you already mentioned EQ and emotional intelligence. And that's so freaking uh, unbelievably important when it comes to leading people and understanding what motivates and, and the things that kind of bounce back and forth in, in their minds. So you understand that, but unpack that journey. Where did you learn this? What were some of those obstacles, maybe some of those blind spots along the way that you missed, but now you look back and you're like, yeah, that was really silly of me. Yeah. So I, I, I always knew, number one, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to be a leader, right? And I've exhibited that since I was 10 years old. And um, I, I came up through the ranks of technology. I was a computer programmer. I was a self-taught computer programmer. And I ended up uh, working out at Microsoft for a little while and then uh, came back to Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And about a year later, my boss from Microsoft called and he said, hey, I'm going out to Silicon Valley to, to start a company. Why don't you come out here and run an engineering team? So I'm like, hey, that's perfect. That's exactly the type of opportunity I'm looking for. It's a leadership position. I've studied a lot about management and, and, and how to do all those kinds of things. So I roll in out there and I did a lot of things really well. I mean, you know, I organized the work. Uh, project management was all squared and taken away. I laid out a really good technical plan. And what would happen is I was a hands-on, I was still a hands-on technical person. And I had these other people that were hands-on technical people. And they would bring me problems and say, Scott, I'm stuck with this. 
And after about two minutes of trying to help them get unstuck, I would just lose patience and say, just leave it with me, right? Just leave it with me and I'll do it myself. And if I've got something to give back to them that they can work on, that's great. But it got to a point where I didn't have anything to give back. So while I had this team of 10, only about five people were being productive because I'd taken all the work away from the other five because I didn't know how to coach problem solving. I didn't know how to help them get unstuck using their brains, but not mine. And that is a huge common problem of most leaders, especially early on, is that, is that we think we're there because we have all the answers. And my team's not going to trust me if I don't have all the answers. And that's kind of the way I felt. That was my mindset. And even if, you know, intellectually, you don't think that emotionally you feel it. So for me, what happened, yeah, is I just rendered half that team useless. We may as well have like bought two Ferraris and crashed them in the parking lot for, for the amount of money that they wasted. Like they wasted probably half a million dollars in salaries because I couldn't lead that team. But I didn't see that until five years later, right? It, 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 was, it was one of those things that in the moment, I didn't really see or understand because I felt like I was being the expert and doing the right thing. But the reality is I wasn't. So there were a number of steps along the way that that were those learning opportunities that unfortunately I didn't I didn't recognize them as learning opportunities until three, four, five years later. So that was the first one. I've got a couple others if you want me to share them. Yeah. And I would love to hear a little bit of those learning opportunities as you really transition heavily. Um, you said you were a self-taught computer programmer, which I imagine is a very, I mean, it's out of my realm of intelligence. It's a very analytical thing, right? Where you have to really be very detail oriented. And I'm sure it taught you a great baseline for exactly what we're talking about now. How'd that transition go into like from the corporate world and leading teams into what you're doing now where you're teaching and, and building where there are a lot of lessons learned going across that you're talking about similarly, like these learning opportunities that were really speed bumps that you didn't really recognize? I think, I think the consistency between the two jobs is that you're solving problems. Right. In computer programming, you're solving a problem. You have to really understand the problem. You have to understand the people who are going to use the software, their problems, what they're trying to do with it. And I think that's really translated well as I've gotten into education and focus a lot more on education in the last, you know, five to eight years has, has been my focus as much as technology. So yeah, it's it's similar. It's it's that people have a gap. They have to close. They have to move, move from point A to point B. And and so how do you do that? And and it's and it's really, I think the engineer brain gives me a little bit different perspective of it than, than some people who may be coming at it from an education, purely education background or purely a, an HR background. So it's a good mix, right? I've, I've always found that those, it's good when you can mix people with different types of brains together because then they, they, they come up with more creative stuff. So, so it has, it, it's been helpful to have that background. That's awesome. And I imagine there have been resources where that analytical, you're self-taught, right? So I imagine you do a lot of this research yourself. What are some of the resources you've learned to use or utilize, or maybe a book that you've had along the way that was like, man, this is, this is gold right here. Yeah. So I do, I, I read a lot of books because that's one thing, like I'm a bookworm I've been a bookworm my whole life. And it's just, if you look at my personality type, I'm a dot connector. I like to just take in a bunch of information and connect dots in, in different ways. So yeah, some of the more influential, influential work has been uh, Patrick Lencioni, who's done a lot of work around the ideal, the ideal team player, five dysfunctions of a team, uh, the advantage, which I think he has some of the most accessible training around what a good culture is and how to think about a culture and how to think about values. So, so really, Patrick Lencioni's work has been very influential. Uh, Liz Wiseman, who wrote a book called Multipliers, which really digs into 
you know, you can take a great employee on one team and put them on a different team with a different manager and they become a terrible employee, then it's because the manager treats them differently. So it really digs into, you know, different managers and how they can really impact the, the value that employees can produce. Uh, that, that's been very helpful. And Greg McCowan, who actually co-wrote Multipliers, but he's done a lot of work with a, a book called Essentialism and some other stuff which has really helped me. Again, I have this huge interest area and it's like, how do you narrow your focus down? And I found that to be very helpful, both as a leader, as a leader and as an entrepreneur to, to really get clear on what is essential and then what is, what is trivial. And, and that book's helped me a lot. So I think, you know, Lencioni, Liz Wiseman, Greg McCowan are great people to, to dig into as you're really exploring some of these areas. I absolutely love those that you mentioned. I mean, I think they're huge and it seems like you've really then turned that into um, really like a, a process of your own where as you're empowering everyone to lead, which is important to know, right? Like you don't have to be the CEO to be the leader, quote unquote, you know what I mean? And I think that's really what you highlight really well is that everybody ha should have leadership training. Everybody can and should be a leader in their own capacity. And you have the jump coach way, which is understanding the job, doing the job, and then getting better over time. Can you talk to us a little bit how you've created that foundational, those foundational pieces for leaders of all levels? Yeah, so it, it kind of comes back to being the engineer and the engineer looks at what's broken, right? What broke and then how we fix it. And what was broken for me when I really started looking at it and I started looking at other leaders were coming up behind me that were making all the same mistakes, right? And it's like, I don't have 10 years to watch you wreck my team while you figure this out. So I was like, how do I shortcut this? How do I take what is broken and fix it quickly? And what was broken is, is the mindset piece. Number one is that they think that their team won't respect them if they don't have all the answers. They think they have to use their own expertise to build trust. And, it's, and, and that's a very common thing. And it's actually really well studied. It's just really wonky and it's buried in a bunch of wonky books. So it's like, how do I take that and bring it out and make it more accessible and easier to learn. So that's really where we start is we say, you know, there, there's some really simple things that people can do to begin to recognize uh, intellectually the emotional responses they're having and to respond better, right? So we start there. And then the other big piece that was broken is that people, it's leadership is a very large area. It's a very large domain. I like to, to kind of look at it as like New York City is a huge city. And if you don't have a map of it, if you don't, if you can't see the entirety of it, then you're not really going to learn it. And you're not, and you're, there's going to be nooks and crannies that you're going to miss. And you're not even going to know that Brooklyn exists, right? If you don't have a map. And most leaders are the equivalent of somebody who flies in New York City and never goes more than two or three miles from the airport because they don't know what exists. So the second piece is really to say, this is the full scope of the job. It's four goals, nine jobs, right? That, that go together to be a leader. And you're going to get better and, and do those in different ways over time based on your individual challenges. So it's really the, the shortcut is to say, think about it correctly, and then here are all the nooks and crannies that you need to explore. And then the third piece is getting better over time. It's like, is being able to, what am I monitoring? What am I observing so that I can change with my team and I can change with my industry and I can change as things change. So it's really those three pieces and it comes from reverse engineering is where it comes from. Yeah, I love that because it's an analytical process, which I love because I love structure. Like, And I think people, teams, individuals, leaders, everybody strives to be in a structured environment because we all thrive in a different capacity there. And um, what, what I find really interesting about a lot of your content and about a lot of what you're putting out there is that Jump Coach is really a passion project turned social enterprise. Can you define what you mean by social enterprise and like how you've shifted that into bringing purpose with Jump Coach? Yeah. So my goal, my goal is to make best in class training available to anybody who needs it. 
right? I come out of a tech world and in the tech world is very common to do free versions of projects or products. It's very common to do freemium stuff. So there's actually a free version of all of our training, like the exact same training that I go and sell in the companies. Anybody can go onto the site and take for free, right? So, so to me, you know, my goal is to get a million leaders through that project in the next, or through that, through that training in the next three years, and then to get a million people a year run rate in five years, right? I want, I want to have that impact be big. And so for me, my goal isn't to build the biggest training company I can build. It is to have to impact and grow as many leaders as I can. So we have a social mission as much as we have a profit mission. We're not a nonprofit. I mean, we are out to make a profit. I, I would like to, you know, leave a legacy in that way too, but it's really more about, uh, how can we have the biggest impact and how can we remove as many barriers from people getting training as we can? And cost is one of those barriers sometimes. Yeah, I think it is absolutely a, a barrier for a lot of people, especially in the entrepreneurship and, and the startup phase, right? Years, uh, really six months prior to year three, you're in that, oh crap, I don't know where to spend my money. I can waste it and I can do all that. But you're in that point at, at the end of those couple of years where you're like ready to scale. The leadership expectation is actually starting to form because you're building a team around you. You're starting to actually need to be a leader. And I think one big aspect, and I know some of my clients are really struggling with this right now, is you have a workshop that's about authentic hiring. And when you hire right, results can really be magic. And I think that is huge because as a, as a practitioner, say a chiropractor, a doctor, a dentist, somebody that is a practitioner that doesn't have much leadership experience, doesn't have much business experience, then they have to go build this team around them and wonder why is the customer experience so awful? That could be really truly a make or break for a small business. Can you talk to us a little bit about authentic hiring and, and what those key topics are there? Yeah, so it's I, I, what I teach is what's called what I call four-factor hiring. And I actually wrote a book in tech. I wrote a book for tech hiring and, and, and I've stripped it down to take some of the tech stuff out because it's the same basic principles. But there's, there's really four factors that, that we need to hire for. And a lot of companies hire for two and some hire for three. But the ones who really have good engagement and get great employees hire for all four. And the four are, number one, does the person have the skills or the aptitude, right? That's, that's an obvious one. Everybody, that's the first thing everybody thinks is, does this person have the skills, aptitude, education? What demands are we going to put on this person, right? That, that's, that's a pretty obvious one. The second one is extrinsic motivators. What can we pay? Like, what is our pay? What is our perks? You know, what is our working conditions? Some of those things and who will accept those, right? Whatever we can offer, we'll, who will accept them? So it's generally we need these skills and we need somebody to do it for this amount of money. And that's as far as a lot of companies go. But the third piece is really to say, we have these values. We have these codes of conduct that are important to our organization, right? And there's, as Patrick Lencioni teaches, there's permission to play values, which are things like honesty and integrity. And no company hires, you know, dishonest people intentionally, right? So, so they're not really good differentiators, but they're good for just what is the permission to play of the, the, this person. But then there's also the core values that are the differentiation values, which are to say that our organization, we behave in a certain way. And, you know, uh, you know, we, we uh, strive for these types of solutions. And instead of trying to hire somebody and coach that into them, you can actually hire for those, those values and that code of conduct. So that's the third piece is, are you hiring people that naturally fit? And then the fourth is intrinsic motivators, which is going to say, will this person get satisfaction from this work beyond just pay? You know, is there purpose here that, that they agree with? Or is there, you know, can they grow? Is this a growth opportunity for them? That's, a, that's a, an intrinsic motivator beyond just what they're paid that's going to help them. 
And then uh, can I trust this person, give them autonomy, have them help, have, have meaning and autonomy in their work, right? That's the intrinsic motivators. So what we really do is we walk them through all four of those and say, what can we build around this? And then everything from job descriptions need to talk about those intrinsic motivators. They need to talk about those values. They're marketing documents. They're not HR documents, right? So, so you really need to go sell your positions through those other two pieces that a lot of people don't talk about. And that's going to help you stand up. It's also going to help you attract the right people and then also manage them well over time, right? That's, that's one of the other kind of pieces that we teach. So yeah, we, we, we work with uh, organizations and with teams to, to, to learn to hire for all four of those factors. I mean, all of those, especially three and four, I mean, those are the make and break, right? Those are really the highlight points where um, if somebody represents completely awful values, not awful values, but completely different values compared to what you have, right? Intrinsically, um, that's going to be uh, out of alignment, which I think is huge for building a team. Um, and I'm curious, as you're going through this, is there a characteristic or a value that you really value within a leader or a future leader that you're like, man, that, that right there is the X factor? I think the X factor is empathy. Right. I think they have to be able to see the world from the perspective of their employees. Right. They have to really understand and internalize that your team wants to be the hero of the story. Right. You came up through the ranks being the hero in your own head. You got promoted because you were the hero. You were the expert. Right. But when you're a leader, your team wants to be the hero of the story and you have to let them be. If you want their best work, you have to detach your ego from being that hero and let your team do it, right? And that takes empathy, right? That takes an ability to really set aside your own ego and think about the world through their lens and through their experiences and what they want out of it. So I think that's a key one. And then I think just a willingness to be adaptable over time, right? The world changes, the industry changes, your team is gonna change. You know, Gen Z is different than Gen X is different than Gen Y, right? All of these things are changing constantly, right? The work from home is now a big thing. How do we how do we adapt to that? So I think it's it's really empathy and adaptability are the two most important things. That if a leader doesn't want to do those, that's okay. Just don't be a leader, right? Stay in an export role, stay in a role player role, and have a great career. But you're not cut out for leadership if you can't do those two things. I think that's a really big thing to note, right? Like the top salesperson doesn't mean they're going to be the best sales manager, right? and they might they be miserable. Be awesome. Right? Yeah, they might they be miserable in the role. So why do it to yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I see in the military quite a bit where it's like if your time and service is there and you haven't done anything awful, yep, you're getting promoted next. It's like that is the worst way to promote because it, ha- it doesn't bring any of those other factors into into play. It's just like, yep, you've been here. So uh, here's your pat on the back. And half the time they didn't want to be promoted. I didn't want them promoted. But it's like that's the way the institution works. I feel like there's there's so many flaws attached to that. Yeah. And, 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 and again, if you go back to like my first position. I felt like to be the leader, I either needed to be the best or I needed to be the most senior, right? And if I'm not the best, then I'm going to lose my status. I'm going to lose my position, right? So so I, I behaved in ways to protect it. And I didn't do that intellectually. I did it emotionally, right? I didn't understand what I was doing, but that's why I was doing it. Same thing, right? So, so it's, if you ask people, why do people get promoted? It's either they're the best or they're the most senior. And that's just again, that's just the wrong way to go about it. And, and that's part of what sets us up to fail as leaders is that we go into leadership trying to protect one of those two things. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's one of those that senior leaders, business owners, they need to recognize that. I think that's a huge thing on their leadership capabilities, are like recognizing those soft skills, if you will, that 
that person should have in order to go to that next level. And then turning that around, say it's somebody that's not ready to be promoted or just doesn't want to be promoted, but they're still capable of being a leader in that expert or that top professional role. What would you speak on to in the military, we call it a decentralized command where you really empower those lower level leaders. What would you speak on to that for that individual that doesn't want to get promoted, doesn't want to be management is just stellar, but still is a great leader because of their influence within the group. What would you say to speak to empowering those lower level leaders? Well, again, it's, it's leadership is working through others to get things done. Do they want to do that? Right? Do they, do they, do they want to really, you know, so there's, there's, there, it becomes a point of a permission to play that you're a good teammate. Right. So so you can be the best and the most, you know, the expert, you can be the greatest uh, the DBA in the world. You can be the, the, the greatest, you know, database developer in the world or whatever. But if you don't play well with others, then you don't have value to, to most organizations. The most organizations are going to chase you away. Right. So there's a certain level of just just team play. Uh, but, yeah, I think a lot of them like mentoring i think there's aspects of it that they might enjoy you know mentoring really having input on standards for how teams work some of those pieces so i think uh, there's small things that you can often do to to help them contribute more and contribute in ways that is that is meaningful to them without necessarily forcing them into into management or leadership roles i've had a lot of people over the years especially in tech they're just not interested but they want to grow, right? They want some recognition that they're better this year than they were last year, right? They want that recognition, but they don't want more responsibility necessarily. They just want, you know, some other stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a very common problem. And it really goes back to that fourth aspect you mentioned with that intrinsic motivator, where as a leader, you have to understand, like, if they're not going to get promoted, I mean, at some point they could be capped out on salary or revenue or income, especially if you're not in sales, where it's like, all right, you're, you're not getting promoted. You don't want to be promoted, but you're stuck. Would you then create some sort of bonus structure? What would be some of those motivators you would have for somebody like that? Yeah, I think, I think you, I think you have to work with each person individually. I think you can continue to raise pay. I still try to stay, you know, I try to stay a percentage above market, but I'm not going to go crazy. And they have to understand that, right? That's, that's, those are just some of the conversations that you have. But yeah, I think that there are ways to to pay them more, to pay them differently, to to maybe reward them for again taking on some of the uh, some other responsibility to the team, you know, like training uh, and and whatnot. But um, but yeah, I, there's really I, I'm just trying to think back over my career and in, in some of my situations. If there's anything specific that jumps out that I think is useful broadly, you know, and and, and, and nothing else is really coming to my head to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I think that's such a. a- a sensitive one to, to play with because at the end of the day, human nature is to become unmotivated, right? If you're not interested, if you're not challenged, if you're not seeing that motivating aspect in, in some capacity, whatever that may be, if you don't see that getting fostered, then all of a sudden that motivation really goes away really quickly. So I think that's such a huge thing to be focused on. And I would love to know a little bit more about, we, we really hit on it earlier with the formal training and, and the college aspect of things. And um, we, we talked about the generation sh- shifting a little bit where I'm a millennial and I'm now coaching Gen Zers that are like at, at 21, 22, they're thinking about things I didn't think about until my thirties. It's like, my goodness, it's, it's crazy to think about what the capacity is of growth here, but they're in that same realm where it's like, maybe, maybe not go to more school, right? Maybe, maybe not get a bachelor's or a master's. 
and it's really starting to shift. What would you say to that young leader, that that 18 to 22 year old that's like not even necessarily professional yet, might be in school, might not be in school? What would you say to them to start cultivating these leadership capabilities? Well, I, I think whether school is valuable or not, I think depends on the person. So I would really just kind of say, what are your goals? Do I want to be the next CEO of Coca-Cola? Then you better go go get a degree, right? Do I want to be even, you know, in in the in the boardroom of a, of a fortune 100 company, chances are pretty good that you're going to need at least a master's degree from a pretty good school at that. Right. So, but that's not the path of a lot of people, right. If you want to be, if you're, if you are interested in more entrepreneurship, or if you are interested in some other aspects or some, some, you know, small to mid-sized companies, you'll find there's a lot of opportunities, whether you have, you know, uh, the credentials or not, I think what I got, I did attend college. I just never finished it. And some of the things I got out of college that were very valuable were, was a network. You know, you can meet people in a, in a college environment that you'll never meet outside of college. In the end, but that network is, is what got me some of my early professional work as a computer programmer. And, and, and ultimately that work got spun into a job at Microsoft, right? So it, it is, there are, you know, so I would say, how can you replace some of those, right? What are some other areas that you can go to build a network? I think nonprofits have been another great place for me to build networks. Go volunteer for nonprofits, go get on boards of nonprofits, and you'll both get experience and opportunities to learn, but then you're also going to uh, build a network. So I think to me, it's, it's, it comes down to taking responsibility for your own learning and growth, being very curious, studying a bunch of different stuff. Uh, and then building a network and finding people to help and finding people to work with. I think those are the two key things. And if 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 you want a job that requires the credentials, go to college. If you don't, uh, explore and be open. You know, it's it may be a little bit tougher road sometimes, but it's it's um, but you can get there and you can do it. Yeah, I think that's great advice because it's really one of those where we're seeing more and more. You're not stuck on this linear journey, go to college and get nine to five, right? We're, we're seeing so many different capacities of being able to explore and do something until you find that like happy point, that alignment point. So then you're really motivating yourself because it's like exactly what you want to do. And if it's not, you leave and you go find exactly what it is, what you want to do. Right. And I really love that you're putting this out there and putting this message out there and helping leaders get trained and getting educated on different aspects of this. And now that you're putting yourself out there and, and making that courageous leap into everything you're doing with your organization, what would you say is the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world with everything you're putting out there? Yeah. So I think, I think if you can solve this problem of leadership, right? I look at all of the latent potential of, of a lot of organizations, right? There's a lot of great people with great ideas, great organizations that are somewhat hamstrung and somewhat held back because they're not effective at leading. They're not effective at setting a vision and working through other people to get it done. And that that definition and that work of leadership is applicable for business, is applicable for schools, is applicable for nonprofits, is applicable for communities. I mean, it's, it's, it's every element of, you know, what we're trying to strive for as humanity really comes down to leadership. And it's, it's, um, if we can fix leadership and really have more people understand it and have more people get it quickly and have more people become more effective leaders, then I, then I do think there can be a pretty good dent in a number of other challenges in the world. So that's, that's where I hope. I, I hope to, to, to help solve this root problem and to leave a legacy as someone who made this easier, <laughs> who made this, this complicated thing simpler and easier and faster to learn so that people can then unlock their own potential and do more. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. 
I absolutely love that, Scott, because I, I 100% agree with you. I think it's one of the most vital aspects of of society right now that we're really starting to lack. And um, there's a great quote, better to be a warrior in a garden than a garden gardener in a, in a war, right? And having that training out there, you, you, you can see the lacking that it's been as this younger generation comes. So maybe it's just me getting old. I don't know what it is, but maybe it's that where it's like, man, these these kids, if you will, I just they're missing this. So I think bringing that out into the world is just a huge value add for so many people. And I really want to give them the opportunity to find your content, reach out to you and see everything that you're doing. What would be the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best thing to do is just go to jumpcoach.com. Um, you can, there's a ton of stuff out there, uh, you know, everything from a free assessment that's going to help you see some of the nooks and crannies that you may be not aware of in leadership to, you can get into all of our training and, and it's, uh, so, so yeah, we're making, again, our, our, a lot of our stuff, we're making as accessible as possible. So jumpcoach.com is the best place to go. You can also look, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect and talk to people and, and, and share what I know and, and, uh, and, and be helpful in that way. So I think those are the two best places to find me. Absolutely love it, Scott. You're the man. I appreciate you bringing this insight, and I can't can't wait to hear your tactical tips for this Friday and how we can start along this leadership journey. Scott, thanks so much, my friend. You're welcome, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, and I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does five to ten million dollars a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% in insurance costs, be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com.